Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. If you're following along with us, you know that we are in John 13, and one of the themes for today is just being servants. Servanthood is one of the key themes that we're going to do. And so, uh, years ago, Trish and I came up with what we thought was this brilliant idea uh, to kind of help our kids learn to serve. And so, we started this deal called the Servant of the Day, and that we just told our kids, we just said, hey, we want you all to watch mom or dad or either of your sisters Uh, throughout the day where they can serve you and then you get some kind of fun reward, uh, snicker or something like that at the end of the day and we crown, big deal at the end of the night, hey, we're gonna crown you servant of the day. Well, we have one of our daughters who is a mechanical engineer and she does a risk reward analysis on everything. Okay, and so as you know, when your kids get older, you kind of have some fun sitting around looking back at some of the stuff that you did uh, as parents. And so see, we were sitting around not too long ago and the girls were saying, hey, mom and dad, let me tell you a really bad thing that y'all did. Okay, and y'all did toy jail. And we didn't like that at all. And so what that was, toy jail was, hey, these toys that you love, okay, we want you to pick them up. We were miserable failures at getting kids to pick up toys. And we just said, we need a change of behavior. So we're gonna do toy jail. Your toy goes into jail and you can use your allowance to buy those things back out of jail, okay? They still think that's a really bad idea, okay? (laughs) Trish and I still think it's brilliant, okay? And so uh, another thing we did is the servant of the day. Well, my risk reward analysis girl figured out really early on, she goes, that little reward ain't worth it. So I'm gonna get my sisters and my parents to serve me the whole time. And so she would say, oh, Kelsey, I'm so hungry. And Kelsey, wanting to win the servant of the day, would run, go serve her sister. And and I mean, she wore it out in a big reveal a couple of months ago. She just looked at Kelsey and said, I played you, okay? (laughs) Uh, the whole time we were doing Servant of the Day. So we, uh, we haven't figured out whether that was a good idea or not yet, but that's kind of what happened in our families. Uh, but the reality is for all of us, um, we, we love to be served more than to serve others. We love to be loved more than to love others. And uh, John 13 is gonna help us today. A really important message uh, for our church as we do that. The problem is that we carry that self-centeredness, that self, that independence over to the church. And so as we as individuals and we as a church kind of are too inward focused, we confuse the world around us because there's no distinction. We're indistinguishable to the world, okay, because we're self-serving and selfish. And it causes, honestly, it causes a lot of people to deny Christ. And at the very best, it confuses people that these people who say they're supposed to be serving like Jesus don't serve like Jesus and the world says, I I don't want any part uh, of that. And it's confusing. And so Jesus today in John 13 is about to reset the deck. He's gonna reshuffle the deck and he's gonna teach us really three things in this passage. He's gonna grow our heart to trust his sovereignty. 
Okay, he's gonna grow our trust, okay, to learn how to serve, and he's gonna grow us in how we love uh, each other. And so in John 1 through 12, Jesus has worked really hard, okay, illustrations galore on I want you to believe, to trust Christ, that I am the life. And it's kind of wrapped up in John 20, 31 that says this, it says, these things, John says in chapter 20, have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's the purpose of the book of John. And in John 1 through 12, he has worked at it in spades. One of the great things and cool things about John is different than the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those three guys, as they were writing the story of Jesus, put the training of the disciples and Jesus' public ministry together. So you gotta have to pick it out. Private ministry, we've been doing for 12 weeks. Our public ministry, we've been doing for 12 weeks. Private ministry, we're, we're jumping into today. So we're making a shift. And so John did public, one through 12. And now in 13 through 17, we kind of shifted our little icon on our bumper. We're going to private ministry. And Jesus is about to look at the disciples and say, and then say to us, I'm about to give you in the next five chapters in this final week of my life, I'm about to give you the secret to how to be the church, how to advance God's kingdom, how to grow God's kingdom. How is this thing going to look? And he starts in John 13 by teaching us how to serve. And he's not gonna talk about money, position, power, platform, he is gonna completely reverse the thinking of the day in how to make the church look distinct from the ways of the world. And so if we will grow in these three things that it tells us in John chapter 13, we will be distinct and the world will beat a path to our door to ask us what is different about you as a Christian and this place as a church full of Christ's people. So let's jump into John 13. And we're gonna start in verses one through three as God's trying to, Jesus is trying to grow our view of his sovereignty. It says this, now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Jesus, Jesus, Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. Okay, here's the first thing we need to know about growing and being distinct as individuals and a church as Christians is that God is in control of all circumstances. Let me prove it to you. Let's look at this. John 2, chapter two, verse four. Jesus is in control of his life and it's a heavenly timetable that he's living on. John 2, four, my hour has not yet come. John 7, 30, his hour had not yet come. John 8, 20, his hour has not yet come. That's what Jesus has been saying. He's been getting pressure from the authorities and from his disciples. Hey, do it faster, do it different. Let's go faster. And Jesus is like, no, my hour has not yet come. And then in John chapter 12, we looked at last week, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. We just read John 13, one, Jesus knowing that his hour was come. 
John 13, three, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. There is a shift here. And we're going into the final week of his life where evil is at its climax and he's about to go to the cross and Jesus is saying, I got this. This is on my timetable. This is on nobody else's timetable. I am still in control. And so even we're gonna, not gonna have a chance to do a ton of work on it today, but in the middle of John 13, Judas is going about the business of betraying him. And Jesus says, okay, I want, hey, you can do this now. Okay, you can do this later. Here's what I want you to do. Even the betrayer Jesus is in charge of. And in the midst of this, the enemy, Satan, the devil thinks that he is about to win because Jesus is going to the cross. I'm about to kill the answer for life and hope for this world that I have some dominion over. And even in the midst of that, Jesus has got this. And if Jesus has got this in the midst of his final week, going to the cross, Judas' betrayal, don't you think he's got you? Don't you think he's got your life in his hands? If you wanna be distinct as the people of God, okay, it means that we need to have a, so, a sovereign deep trust in the God of the universe. And so some of you, I know, I hear stories all week, every week. Folks walk in here with marriages that are struggling, with prodigal kids, with friends and family that are sick or rebellious or addicted. I hear it all the time. And Jesus is wanting to remind us, hey, I got it. I know it's not like you planned it. It's not what you thought would happen. I know there's disappointment, but I have got this. And so one of the reasons that I'm sitting behind this table today is because your pastor's stupid, okay? Uh, and so two weeks ago, uh, I went with some friends out to Orlando um, to, to play tennis. And so, and after that, my family was gonna come and we were gonna do Universal Studios as a family. And so we went out to play tennis and in the first match that I was playing in, I totally messed up my knee and it was super painful. But because of the sin of pride and not wanting to be wheeled around Universal in a wheelchair, okay? And the sin of FOMO, fear of missing out, okay? I just started a regiment of Tylenol and Advil, Tylenol and Advil, Tylenol and Advil to kind of get through these next three days because I didn't want to miss time with my family. And we had a great time. I mean, it was awesome. There was a little bit of pain. I didn't do a couple of things that I wished I could have done. But as a general, we had a great time. So all my medical people in the room are like, oh my gosh, I know what's coming. Okay, so I get back uh, to Dallas. We're okay. And I go to see a doctor about uh, my knee and I, get, I tell him, hey, a couple of symptoms I'm having. And he goes, Kyle, that doesn't have anything to do with a knee. I think you have an upper GI bleed is what you have. And I'm like, what's that? And so I need to go, I need to go see a, a gastrointestinal doctor the next day. Well, that night I get up in the middle of the night to use the restroom and I mean, I am seeing spots and dizzy. The next morning I can't even hardly get up. And so Trisha and I said, hey, we're skipping the GI doc and we're going straight to the ER. Okay, so we go to the ER, sure enough, I had an upper GI bleed and I had lost half of the hemoglobin in my blood. Like I usually live at 14 
and 7% because that Advil, this is news for everybody. If you do too much of it too, for too long, too much, it eats the lining of your stomach and creates ulcers that bleed, okay? And so when you lose that much volume, okay, and yet your energy and your stamina doesn't come back. Thus the reason, okay, I am sitting, back here, sitting down today because I don't have a bunch of that, but the problem was there were some moments in there that were fairly scary, right, in the midst of that. And I really did wonder if God had this. Has God got this? And so some of y'all know that have been around here that I have this thing on my desktop that I call a planned biblical response, right? And so I pulled that out in the midst of this because I was doubting, okay, God, do you really have this? Okay, and I pulled it out. And let me just, I'm gonna read to you what I read during those seasons of doubt or during that, those moments of doubt. So here it is. And by the way, if you're part of our region family here, um, I would just tell you all this is is a repentance plan, right? When I, when I have doubts, that planned biblical response, I've got about 40 of them, planned biblical response to when I don't trust God, here's the scripture I go to. That's all that is. It's a repentance plan. Job 42.2. God, I know that you can do all things that no, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Psalm 135, five and six, for I know that the Lord is great and that our God is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth and in the seas and in all the deeps. Proverbs 16, four, listen to this. The Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. Isaiah 46, nine and 10, remember the things that I have done in the past for I alone am God. I am God and there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass for I do whatever I wish. And so I sat there and I read those four verses. Most of the time I have them memorized, but I have to go back and touch them up. And you know what happens? It's not magic, it's spiritual and it's the power of God, and all of a sudden, okay, God's got this. He's in control. God's got a purpose. What does he want me to learn? And those are the things that start to run through my brain instead of the, what the heck is happening? And am I about to pass out? And what does that look like? And kind of in freak out mode, right? A planned biblical response. And so even when it doesn't look like it and feel like it, God is in control. And so let's move that to the church. Let's say that the church, the people of God, begin to grow in their ability to trust God, trust his sovereignty in the midst of crazy. You know what happens? Okay. In the midst of, we're not tossed by the wind and wave of culture that's out there these days. We're not tossed by the winds and wave of doctrine that's out there. We're not anxious about all the cultural trends that are happening around politics and education and all of those things. If we grow in the sovereignty, okay, we're gonna be a church that's gonna be able to stand up in the midst of this swirling world that we have and say, I am a follower of Jesus. I'm a servant of his and I trust him and he gives me the peace I need in the midst of these circumstances. You don't think the world wants some of that? They are gonna beat a path to ask you and to ask us what is different about you. And then all of a sudden we have a chance to tell 
the people of the world about the hope that is within us. And so you don't build that peace, that trust, by just walking out of here today and saying, hey, I wanna be more peaceful. I wanna trust God more, right? That's not how it happens by declaring that on the way out, but tonight and tomorrow and the next day and next week, doing the things we talk about here every week. Spend time in your word. Spend time praying. Spend time with other believers who are holding you accountable to grow as a Christian. Share your faith. All of those disciplines we talk about is what helps you build those deeps, those roots deep so you can trust God when it matters and when things get hard. So church, let's go. Can we grow in our trust of God's sovereignty in the midst of an ever-increasing chaotic world so that we can stand firm and we get to tell people about Jesus? That's a church I wanna be a part of. I wanna go to that church. All right, so God wants to grow us in our trust in God's sovereignty. He also wants to grow us in how we're serving others, okay? And we pick this up in four through 17, and I'm gonna give you three H's just to kind of help you remember this little passage. So the first part is humility, the second part is holiness, and the third part is happiness. And we're gonna move through this fairly quickly. But we start, and so right after Jesus is done one through three, he comes to verse four, and it says, he got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Okay, yeah, this is one of those things, whenever you read the scripture, there's times you gotta just put yourself in the moment. Okay, you just gotta kick your feet up, grab your coffee and say, what in the world's happening here? And so Jesus gets up and he washes his disciples' feet. And so he's been trying to teach them, the disciples, this lesson for three years. And as you read the gospels, you find out they're still fighting even up to this week that Jesus is in about who's the greatest. And so he does this example to say, hey, I need you guys to learn this. We've been talking about it. I'm trying to give you an example to do this. And so remember who Jesus is? He's the sovereign creator, Lord of the universe. And he gets up and takes a towel and he washes his disciples' feet. Do you think he had the right to demand obedience from them? Absolutely. He had every right to command them to do whatever he wanted. And he gets up to the table and he does the most servant-like act you could ever imagine. And so what's the significance of this for us? How do we, how do we translate this? Well, the first thing it does is if somebody who is master over you, if you're a Christ follower, Jesus is master, okay? And he gets up and he serves you, what kind of value does that give you? That just says that you are so valuable to the God of the universe who loves you deeply. You know what else it does? Okay, it defines and dignifies serving. When we serve others, the Lord is paying attention. Okay, he is, when you serve, it dignifies service. The other thing that it does is it destroys any type of rank, privilege, uh, authority structure, hierarchy, class system, abusive authority that's happening. This picture right here destroys all of that. 
And it says that everybody is valuable and we're on the exact same playing field. And that's how Jesus is telling us, hey, lead with humility. So a ton of y'all, a ton of my friends are leading businesses and you're involved in PTAs and you're involved in organizations, go get them. But when we talk about servant leadership, this is what we're talking about. This is what we come back to and say, you wanna lead something? You lead by being the best servant you can be in that situation. You have such an opportunity in the world to lead differently because you are a Christ follower. Take advantage of that. It's what will distinguish the church. And so Jesus models humility for us in this passage. Second one, he models holiness for us in six through 11. Let's read it together. So he came to Simon Peter. So this is, he's washing the disciples' feet. He comes to Simon, says, he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, who who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. That last little part there, referring to, hey, Judas, I know what you're doing and I'm in control of it. Okay, I got it, I'm in control. But in this part with Peter, is anybody confused? I, I just, you all may fire me for not knowing this, but I was confused. Okay, when I went and read this passage, I thought, what in the world is this talking about? And so I dug in, studied words, all that kind of stuff. And this is one of those places where understanding the words really matters. And so in all but one of these places, okay, Jesus and Peter are back and forth on, when he says washed, he's washing part of the body. Like wash my feet apart is what the word means. But in verse 10, okay, Jesus said to him, he who has bathed, needs only to wash his feet. Completely different word, okay, in the Greek, and it means that you are washed all over, okay, is what that means. It is, okay, a present tense, once and for all verb. So once you are bathed, okay, you're good. Washing your feet, okay, you have to keep going. Do you know what Jesus is doing here? He's teaching salvation and sanctification that the, the apostles and Paul and Peter ripped off later from Jesus. Okay, he's saying to Peter, hey, if you have been bathed all over, if you're following me, you're good. Now let's talk about how you live day to day walking with Jesus. And so washing all over brings about your salvation, your union with Christ. Washing the parts is how we live, washing his feet, how we live unstained from the world as James 1.27 talks about. We need to be cleansed of our sins on a daily basis. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's this, we're saved, Okay, awesome, put that, that's in the books, but we've still gotta live day to day walking with Christ in holiness, confessing sin, okay, on a regular basis. And you guys have heard me talk about this before, but it's why I talk about just every day I have to 
confess where my heart got hooked, where it got cold, where it got scared, where it got proud. And we live in this communion. I'm saved, trusted Christ, but I've got to live in this walk with Christ. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He says, hey, Peter, you got to keep walking with me. You're not earning salvation, but you got to keep walking with me. And so he's teaching humility and he's teaching a daily walk in holiness. And then he talks about the third part in here in happiness in 12 through 17. And when I say happy, don't think happy, like hoo-hoo, joy, you know, all that kind of stuff. This is the happiness like is in Matthew 5, blessed is the man, right? That kind of, that's what we're talking about of the Beatitudes. So, so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then the Lord and the teacher watch your feet, so also you ought to watch one another's feet, for I gave you an example, what I just did, that you also should do as I do. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who was sent greater than the one who sent them. And listen to this, verse 17. If you know these things, you are blessed or you are happy if you do them. And it's really important that Jesus ends this section with that. If you know these things, if you know how to lead with humility, okay, if you know how to walk in holiness, then you are gonna be blessed. It's what's gonna happen. And if you do them, if you act them out, if you live them out, it is gonna bring blessing into your life. So do you know what, Here he's flipping it again, okay? He's saying we all think that, that serving ourselves is gonna make us happy. But Jesus is finishing this little section saying, hey, if you do these things, humility, and serve other people, that's what's gonna bring peace and joy and blessedness to your life. That's what's gonna do it. It's not looking for, hey, how can I, how can I serve myself? It's by doing that. And, it, and the Greeks and the Romans of the day had no idea. This was completely foreign to them. And so all of a sudden, this group of people that are following Christ and serving are amazing. And I'll just confess to you, man, I, I am tempted all the time to put on airs or to manage my image so that you think your pastor's cool and got it all together. It's a temptation. When I talk about being hooked and cold and scared and proud, that's one that hits a lot. And can I just tell you, I can be a mess, but desperately with all my heart and my soul and my mind and with strength, I wanna follow Jesus. I want us to be a church that is just selling out for Christ if we can. And we're gonna do communion here in a few minutes. And so I just want you to ask yourselves when you do communion, are there some places in you where you're compromising holiness? Or you're hiding sin? Or maybe you're giving lip service to what it means to be a believer? Those will be great questions to ask when we take communion in a minute. Because integrity and authenticity and Christ-likeness all mean something. And so Jesus has said, hey, I want you to trust my sovereignty. I want you to serve one another. And that looks like humility and holiness and happiness, those three things. And then he comes back and he's gonna finish with a bang in John 
13, 34, and 35. And he says this, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, so that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We have all read that. We're super familiar with it. When I ask you a hypothetical question, what's new? Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. Well, the commandment's not to love one another because that was in Leviticus and Jesus used it in Matthew 22. What's new? What's Jesus saying right here? And so Jesus is saying the old commandment is to love one another as yourself. Jesus now is saying, love one another as I have loved you. So love one another as yourself, that's a good thing, but it's not perfect. Love Jesus as Jesus has loved you, that's perfect. And when you love like that, the world notices. You wanna know the other thing that's new? When you become a Christ follower, you get this thing called the Holy Spirit that gives you a, 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 a power, a supernatural power to overcome the selfishness and self-centeredness that we all want to live with. That comes into you. And it gives you the ability to love when you want, don't want to. It gives you the ability to sacrifice when you don't want to. And the world out's looking and saying, look at those people. They know how to love and they know how to serve. And so all of us are familiar with 1 Corinthians 13, four through 8a, been to plenty of weddings. By the way, that's not just a wedding passage, if you didn't know that, okay? And we're, we're kind of overly familiar with it. So what I'm gonna do, you guys know that I use the message sometimes, it's a paraphrase that I love that brings color to the study that I do in the scripture. And this is one of those places where Eugene Peterson just crushed it, okay? And so I'm gonna put that on the board and we're just gonna walk through it together. Okay, and I'm just gonna read 1 Corinthians 13, four through eight and see what the Lord says to you about how you're loving and maybe about how this perfect love that Jesus just gave us an example of works. Here it is. Starts with this, love never gives up. All right, we can stop right there. Are you so thankful that the love of Christ never gave up on you? Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, love that. Doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on other. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Oh my, am I so glad that Jesus didn't keep score, that my sins are gone doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Perfect love. And then watch. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love like this. The world is gonna watch this happen and say, that is unique, that's supernatural, and I want that. And again, they're gonna be the path to our door. So I had a great time this week getting ready for this, and I, th I, wanna, I want you guys to have my same great time, okay? And so I sat down and said, okay, where are the greatest acts of love and service that friends have done for the Keglers over the years? 
Okay, and I'm gonna ask you to do something similar this week as we go through this. And so some of you guys know, my parents went through a divorce when I was eight or 15, and we found three Christmases in a row, a bunch of cash just on our Christmas tree. And we have no idea where that came from. You don't know what that did, that serving. Surely we were able to have a little nicer Christmas. You know what it did for my trust in God's sovereignty? God's gonna take care of me. We had a couple of friends that were part of our Young Life Committee went together and they bought Trish and I a Suburban. We had just gone from one to three instantly, right? And we needed a bigger car and they came together and bought us a, wasn't brand new, but it was a nice used Suburban. Practically, was that a home run? Sure. You know what else it said to my family? I got you. We had money put into mailboxes. We had friends and family give us the opportunity to do vacations in Colorado and at lake houses. And that's all so great. You know what it did for our souls? Hey, it was time to get away and replenish our soul. So when you serve and when you love, you're meeting practical, but bigger and better and more important, you are the hands and feet of Christ that are meeting needs that build people's hearts to trust him. And those are some of the big things. Let me tell you some of the little things. So last weekend, after all this stuff had happened with uh, the blood and the Advil and all that kind of stuff, Rob and I hadn't seen each other in a couple of weeks because I'd been on vacation. And he just called me and he said, hey, Kegs, I miss you. I want to look you in the eyes and make sure you're okay. Can I come over? And I said, absolutely, come on. And so you know what Rob Berry's specialty is? He's a specialist of shallow end conversation, <laughs> right? He loves to start in the shallow end, but he came up, I love you, I'm so glad you're okay, and now let's sit down. And we laughed and cut up for 45 minutes and it was great. It was so good for me, it was great for me. You know what happened two weeks ago with this place? One of our staff gals is, um, talking to her ex uh, about reconciliation. And she was going to, have, uh, going to have a conversation, driving five or six hours to do that. Her whole community group jumped in the car and went with her. And while she was having some of those conversations, they were in the car praying. And then they turned it into a whole weekend of fun and they had a blast and then they drove back. You think that's not amazing? For all of them, folks, when we love and serve like that, it is incredible what the Lord will do in our lives and in the lives of others. And so what about for you, okay? I want you to do that this week in your journal or whatever. I want you to just go, hey, what are those big, big places where folks have loved us? And what did it do, not just for the practical, but for my soul and for studying? So let me give you some ideas. So we are a church that's, uh, there's a lots of kids in this place, okay? How about you take somebody else's kids for 48 hours? It's a huge sacrifice, a huge act of serving, okay? But do you know what it do? It's practical, it helps, but you, do you know what it does for those, that, those parents? As they get a break and they spend time with Jesus and they spend time with each other, how about that? How about if you're upgrading a car or doing what our friends did, maybe you give it away or you discount the price. Maybe you leave a little bit of money in somebody's mailbox, okay? Maybe you forgive someone that you've been carrying bitterness for for years or decades. 
this reckless love that Jesus is talking about. Hey, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hang on to that anymore. So I'm gonna go back to an employer or a friend and say, hey, man, I've carried this bitterness in my heart for years. Will you forgive me? You don't think the world think that's either awesome or weird, right? If you go do, and they're gonna ask questions about why that is happening. And I am so encouraged by so many of you that are already doing this. Your reckless ability to love and serve people is a blessing to this place. Keep going, keep doing. And if we've got 60% of our people that are doing that, let's get to 99.9% of our people that are loving and serving like Christ has asked us to serve. And so how do we practically do this? How do we make sure being sinful people that love to serve ourselves how do we imp implement this practically? And so our structure around here for this is that we have community groups, okay? And there's other ways uh, to do community. Here's the thing, you are commanded by scripture to practice the one another's in the context of accountable relationships. That's what the scripture tells you to do. And you can go to other churches and do that really, really well. We've chosen community groups here is a way to do it, but it's how we care for you. It's the care structure. And if you were listening a couple of weeks ago when Jeff taught on John 10, remember what sheep look like? That video of that one sheep that was stuck, people pulled him out and he jumped right back in, right back into the ditch. We need people to help us live in accountable relationships. And so I know getting into community can be hard. I know the elders, I know the community group shepherds, I know the community group leaders are gonna make mistakes, okay? They're gonna misinterpret how to handle situations. But I know all those guys, and I'm telling you, they're running hard after Jesus and they're doing the best that they can. So if you have not taken the chance, the opportunity, the privilege to jump into a community group and get in the context of accountable relationships that help you practice one another's, don't wait. It's hard, it can be hard. But I'm telling you, it's worth it because you're gonna learn to love and serve like Jesus talks about in John 13 right here. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at CityBridgeCC. See you next time.